What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, soon going to be coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, is wildly concerned about the Utah Jazz's preseason defense co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. As always, before we get started, I just want to continue reminding, imploring, begging, shamelessly pleading you to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We can be found wherever else you're getting your podcasts as well. Stitcher, Spotify, Art19, all those great places. Google Play, again, everywhere. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there and that you're listening. Uh, please keep the comments coming as well. We've been reading them. Uh, the notes about maybe me turning up my mic. Here's hoping that the volume on this podcast is better. And again, we just appreciate every single rating review that, that we get. If you've done all those three things, subscribe, rate, and review. Recommendations are appreciated as well as we continue to try and flesh out this community. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter, a police, at Hardwood Knox. You can follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Last but certainly not least, you can follow Blue Wire Pods, at Blue Wire Pods. Be sure to check out all the fire tweets I'm sending out over there, in addition to all the other podcasts that will be promoted within the network on that account as well. We are going to get to our Eastern Conference over-unders. If you have not checked out the Western Conference over-unders that we recorded earlier, be sure to do that. However, before we get started, I just wanted to address the LeBron James situation, the comments he made a couple days ago about uh, the situation in China, uh, a few qualifiers. Uh, there are definitely enough white males like myself commenting on this, and I'm not trying to just throw my voice into the equation, nor am I trying to be an arbiter of morality, but it is basketball-related with what he was talking about to Daryl Morey, and so we'd be remiss on the podcast if we didn't at least talk about it. Uh, I would, however, recommend that you check out a lot of the other great work that's been done on on this saga. Uh, Nate Duncan of the Dunkdown Podcast has had two really great episodes, um, one with Bill Bishop, uh, where they really dove in deep into what's going on in, in China right now, and then just another one with Ethan Strauss of The Athletic, who's written a couple pieces that I think have really touched on at least the NBA reaction very well. So with LeBron, the initial thought was that he was calling Daryl Morey misinformed, this implication that he was uneducated on the situation in China. He clarified that he was talking uh, more so about Daryl Morey not realizing the impact it would have on the on the players and teams and everybody that was on the ground. Um, and he did mention that how, how it would affect people, not only financially, but but spiritually and all that. And yes, the word financially was mentioned. It's I've had a really tough time formulating my thoughts on this because there can be so much hypocrisy in just commenting on what's going on. I do think though that 
Le- LeBron definitely could have conveyed his his thoughts better because if you have to go on Twitter and clarify immediately after your press conference, that's that's an issue. It's just a straight out issue. And I could also sort of sympathize with where he was coming from. I couldn't imagine being a player coach in China when when all this was going down, seeing the the advertisements come down, not knowing necessarily when your games were going to be played. There was an agreement in place per multiple reports that they weren't going to uh, address the media, but the Chinese government also kind of nixed the media availability themselves. And so it wasn't even that the NBA had to to make that call. It, it had to be a very scary situation just emotionally. Like We're not talking about uh, big business here where LeBron is a brand. That, that's certainly part of it as well. And so I could see him being frustrated by that, also being frustrated that the players would be expected to comment on the league's position effectively uh, when the league doesn't really have to comment on it or hasn't done a great job about it. Still, it it, it could have gone down better for him. And I, I think really where the two big issues lie is, could we have expected LeBron to say anything else? A uh, huge part of Nike is all these players, they have sponsorships in China. The, the Chinese market is going to buy a, a ton of sneakers. They're going to choose money in this case. And it's tough to make that decision as cut and dry as we sometimes want it. You would like to see a better response, but how can we call for one? I mean, I'm I'm recording this from a MacBook Pro and my two phones, my work phone and my actual cell phone are both iPhones. It's That's a company that is very much in bed with China. So can we really fault the NBA and the players for their position? At the same time, we can't just look the, the other way at this. The situation in China is about pro-civil rights, and I'm, I'm not a geopolitical expert, and so I don't want to speak to uh, all of what's happening over there. But this is being painted by some. I mean, you look at the, the letter that Joseph Tsai uh, sort of wrote, Nets owner, after the fact. Uh, but th- this is not some rogue separatist movement that's going on over there. It's about civil rights. It's about Hong Kong wanting China to honor an agreement that was put in place in 1997 where they would effectively, it seems, govern themselves for 50 years. And there's this extradition law um, that sort of threatens that that sovereignty. And and it goes so much deeper than that as well. And I would urge people to read up on it. I'm still trying to read up on it, listen to all that I, I can about it. Um, ultimately, where I think we need to fall is that the, the real concern here is that China has censored the players, uh, Adam Silver, even the coaches to an extent. You know, Steve Steve Kerr wouldn't ignorance his way out of being asked about what's happening um, on China. I guess he makes a good point about how tricky it is to comment on international affairs, and you certainly feel more comfortable about commenting on what's happening domestically. I, I can sort of sympathize with that, but he's just so smart that you can't imagine he doesn't at least have some sort of an opinion. And it would be, you would appreciate more of him just saying no comment right off the bat. And the same thing with LeBron. I, I also think it's important to note that what LeBron just said, and however we disagree with LeBron, however disappointed we are in LeBron, it doesn't overturn anything he's already done. The dude, as Zach Lowe reminded us on his podcast, Open to friggin' school. Like, let's let's pump the brakes here. The people who are trying to really needle LeBron in a bigger picture, uh, they, they have an agenda here. I still think it's okay to be disappointed in what he said. I think it's very okay to be disappointed in the league's response overall. I don't... Would it be ideal if they pulled out of China? 
yes, that would seem to be the, the morally correct thing to do. But again, I'm saying that as someone who's recording this from a MacBook Pro, which just makes all these thoughts so tough to, to really combine into one. And this sounds like a stream of conscious thought, even though I've written down bullet points for myself and, and spent time reading up about this, because I think that's the type of situation we're at. My my largest concern, at least as far as the NBA goes, is that there has been clear censorship here where it does feel like players and, and coaches would be more comfortable speaking out. And that would be the position that that would at least be somewhat refreshing to see them take where, no, we can't expect them to just get out of China completely, but they are going to say, you know, here's how it's going to be, that that we're going to support this civil rights movement. We're going to get behind Daryl Morey and no, not firing him, not punishing him for his tweet. And I'm not trying to turn him into this cultural hero, but that's not a a response of of support to me. Adam Silver's second go um, at addressing this was certainly better and and more satisfying than the first. I'm, I'm still not going to applaud the NBA's reaction here in any way. And I do think it's fair to question whether it's China or the NBA that has more leverage. Uh, there are almost three quarters of a billion people that consumed the NBA product uh, last year in China from multiple reports. Does that give China leverage over the NBA or does the NBA, because they have that uh, th- that view- type of viewership in China, have un tapped leverage that that they could be exerting here. And then you still have to balance the fact that Adam Silver works for the owners who many of them, like Joseph Tsai, they're going to have business interests there. And then also just it's better for their teams not to be in this war of words or war of morality with such a big market. I just think that we're in really dangerous territory where there's been a clear impact of censorship here from China. And you know it's it's happening there where there's been talks of how people were hesitant to show up to games in jerseys. We know that protesters wear masks to, to, to try and uh, hide their identities and that there were some people who were covering their faces just to meet the, the NBA players. That type of, of fear mongering is, is just not really okay. And then to allow it to extend, and it's not, not really okay, it's just, it's flat out wrong. And to allow that to extend here, to a much smaller degree where it's, yes, we the business interests, LeBron is a brand, so he's going to choose money, but you would have to believe that there would be more players, someone, somewhere, someone like Steve Kerr would be more outspoken, even though he technically works for a, a billionaire about this issue, if it was a, a different situation in, in China. And so the, the censorship is what's a big concern here. I honestly don't know where the NBA goes from here. I don't know if this will blow over. A lot of people said they don't think it will. It's almost more dangerous if it doesn't, because these are issues that we need to continue talking about and not let fall by the wayside and, and accept them uh, by way of silence, which is what happened you know, with Donald Sterling in the NBA for years. He, we applauded Adam Silver for getting rid, rid of him, but he was embedded in the NBA for decades in, in the first place. I'm not trying to draw exact parallels between the two. This is just a really tough thing to tackle uh, and so where I ultimately land to, to wrap up this rant is that it's okay to be disappointed in what LeBron said. I'm definitely disappointed in what he said. I don't know that uh, he can play, that he's just going to stick to sports card when he has politicized his voice in the past, which I think is great that he did and has every right to do. And so it is disappointing what his first uh, in-depth response to all this was. At the same time, it's just it's so easy to fall into the trap of hypocrisy. And like I said, I can't be, I don't want to be this arbiter of morality. I'm not trying to preach 
from a soapbox. This is just where I'm personally at with this stream of conscious thoughts, trying to understand and, and comprehend all that's happening and what the best response would be. And, and hopefully this sparks an ongoing dialogue that doesn't just peter out as the games start being played and as we put further distance between Daryl Morey's tweet itself and, and just what's happening in the NBA. With that rant out of the way, though, let's get to our Eastern Conference over-unders. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Eastern Conference over-unders. Let's friggin' go. Andy, how are you doing? I am doing uh, great. Excited to uh, wrap up the rest of the league on these impossible over-under predictions. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, though, some breaking news right before we recorded this podcast, and I had a shit ton of technical issues. Bradley Beal, two-year, $72 million extension with the Wizards, uh, brings his deal total now, including this upcoming season, to a total of four years and $130 million, which is great value for someone to me who's uh, going into their age 36 season. What what were your thoughts? Twenty six. Oh, age twenty six. Yeah, wow. Uh, what were what were your initial thoughts on the uh, the Beal deal? My very first thought was this makes him more tradable, um, and I'll admit I did not realize that he can't be traded this season until a couple people pointed that out to me um, right after I tweeted about it. Um, I I think my general takeaway it might still be that though, because now he's under contract till twenty twenty three. Uh, if you're a small or you know mid market team that doesn't get a ton of free agents, going after really good players who are under contract for a while is a good way to uh, add stars to your roster. So Washington might still be the worst team in the NBA this season, uh, even with you know it doesn't make a difference. Beal was going to be on the team either way um, this season. If you look at that roster after him, it is. It's kind of scary uh, if you're a Wizards fan. They could be really bad. Uh, this summer he could think, wow, it's it's time for me to get up out of here. And there's going to be a lot more teams that are interested in him if they know they can have him for at least two years. I think the last year of the deal is now a player option. Um, but th- they're going to have a lot, a lot of bidders if he becomes available at any point. Right, and so it's it's sort of the same situation that they would have been in now if they were going to trade him, but they get to kick it a year down the line at least. If you're, you know, assuming it's a since it's going to be a player option the final year, like you said, two seasons 
uh, more after this one. So you get to go through this season, maybe get to go through a little bit of next season, see if there really is a possibility to salvage the wall Beal era. And if there's not, I don't think his trade value definitely isn't hurt. I'm not sure how much it would increase unless you think he's going to pick up that player option, but it would definitely be lateral while affording the Wizards a lot more flexibility. And and I think that ends up being a, a huge victory for them. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think we were talking about this before we started recording, but it's a big surprise. Um, but I certainly get it for both sides here. I don't, I don't, I don't think that aspect of it is surprising. I just didn't think it was going to happen uh, this off season. And what it also kind of does is, so now you're taking the five year, 250 something million dollar extension off the table. If he makes the all NBA team, you could feel more comfortable shutting him down this year if the Wizards are as bad as we think they're going to be. Whereas if you did that before, there's the trade-off of, okay, we don't want to run this guy aground for a really crappy team, but we're also potentially costing him money by taking him out of the All-NBA conversation and not letting him play, you know, 25 to 2,800 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You ready to do some Eastern Conference over-unders? I am ready. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Like last time, nothing special. If you have not checked out our Western Conference over under pod, please be sure to do that. Uh, The Atlanta Hawks will rotate or alternate, excuse me, as usual. The Atlanta Hawks coming off 29 wins last year. Their 2019-2020 win total is 34.5. Andy, what are you doing with them? I'm taking the over. Um, I've kind of thought all season that they're sort of the sneaky playoff contender in the East, and maybe they're not sneaky, and maybe that's not an original thought because I'm I'm certainly not the only one who said that. Um, Trey Young's second half has has been talked about plenty, but he he looked absurd um, in the second half of last season. I still think John Collins is their best player. I think they've got a great one-two punch in those two guys. Kevin Herter is solid. I've made this – comparison a few times in articles over the summer but they they really are potentially like a a facsimile of those old Suns teams with Steve Nash you've got Trey Young in the Nash role uh, John Collins in the Stoudemire role you hopefully you know you hope that either Cam Reddish or um, DeAndre Hunter can be your Sean Marion and then Kevin Herter kind of fills the role of Quentin Richardson or Joe Johnson so they've they've got a really well balanced, intriguing young roster. Uh, they may still be a year away from playoff contention, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the high 30s and we're talking about them for for stretches of the season as a playoff contender, kind of like we were with the Kings last season. I went with that. All makes sense. I went with the under. I really want to change it, but I'm almost wondering if we're rushing this for the Atlanta Hawks. They still have a bunch of youngsters on the team. Trey Young's going to be spectacular. This defense is not going to be good. It doesn't look like unless Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are just monsters right off the bat. And John Collins defends like he did all year or at, like he did after the all-star break last season. I So 35 is it's this one was one of the tougher ones for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I almost want to change it to over and I could see their pathway to sneaking into that eighth seed. But I just I wonder if we're just guilty of this in the momentism and are, are rushing their their development a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think there's probably one or two teams we do that with every season. Not not you and me specifically, but just the general um, NBA fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Boston Celtics, 48 and a half wins is their over under. They won 49 last season. The changeover uh, in this team has been discussed by many people many times. Um, where do you got them? So I just changed this as you were talking and went with the over. I was tempted to go with the under, and I don't necessarily think that they're a better team functionally on the court without Kyrie Irving because he's a better player than Kemba Walker. But it just feel like it, all, it feels like it might all come together a little more smoothly without him. Uh, Kemba Walker is not the, the kind of personality that Kyrie Irving is. That definitely helps behind the scenes. I know Kyrie said he was going through some stuff last year. But even so, when you look on the court, it seems like he would just be more willing to defer than Kyrie Irving, if only because he's done the, the lone wolf act in Charlotte basically his whole career and had to ferry that offense. So now you have an opportunity to mix in Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, even uh, Ennis Kanter, and that just seems like a, a chance that he'll revel in to me. And we have to assume that Gordon Hayward is going to be better. I think there was this rush to declare that those Celtics were so good last year because he would just return to form. We always do that when got, when stars recover from injuries. We might even be doing that with Kristaps Porzingis this year. Who knows? Uh, however, I think it's clear that he's going to be better than he was last season overall. I don't know if he ever gets back to 2016, 2017, but his closing kick to the regular season last year, it was more closely aligned with what he was doing uh, in Utah, just in smaller volume because he wasn't playing as many minutes. He was coming off the bench a lot. And I, I have to imagine that, one of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown is not just going to be better wire to wire than they were last year, but then just makes the leap. And I don't think Tatum had a bad year last season. It was just that he didn't turn into a megastar as a sophomore, which to me isn't really a problem. And then Jalen Brown quietly salvaged, I thought, what was a, a bad start to the season. So unless he gets caught up in maybe playing for his contract, unless Gordon Hayward's really bad, I know this defense might not be great with with Canner in the middle, but I'm I'm sort of excited to see what they could do if they really do lean into Grant Williams at the five or or maybe even more lineups with uh, Daniel Tice at the five. I, I do think there's some potential for them to at least unlock versatile lineups that are also fairly okay on defense. And just in the East, someone has to win games. And I was going through this, and there were going to be a lot of underpicks for me. So I kind of feel like this is a 50-win team by virtue of that as well. This is one that I kind of waffled on, too. I, I was very tempted to go with the under here. I, I did go with the over. Um, I agree with just about everything you said. I, I you know In a vacuum, Kemba Walker is not quite as good as Kyrie Irving, but I do think he'll help them chemistry-wise, and I think that's big, especially for a team that's, that suffered for it so much uh, last season. The bigger question, and again, this isn't like some breaking news, is what do they do with the center position? Al Horford was arguably their most important player over the course of his time there, and uh, he's gone, <laughs> obviously. Oh, is I he? I think Daniel, <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Tice, I, I'm pretty sure, has started at least one game this preseason. He would probably be my pick. Um, to start at the five, he can, he can shoot from the outside. He's a solid defender. He's not a high usage player. So if you're going to have him in a lineup with all these guys who can score like Kemba and Hayward and Tatum, um, it's, it's good if he's not taking a ton of possessions away from those guys. And then you reserve Ennis Kanter for that heat check role that he's been pretty good in, uh, for the last few seasons. I mean, he's, he's had some really nice stretches with the thunder and the blazers as sort of a come off the bench. Um, it kind of like a Lou Williams type, obviously just in a much different body, go in there and just score as much as you can. 
Um, I, so, so I think if everything clicks in, they, they could actually comfortably get over 48 and a half. Uh, but I could also, I could also see this team really struggling without Al Horford as the hub on both offense and defense. He just made so many things work on both ends of the floor and they don't have anybody close, um, to that level of play. So I think there's there's certainly a chance they go under, but I ended up going with the over just because I, I, I do think, like you, that a lot of those wing guys are going to start to get closer to their ceiling. Hayward should be a little bit better, and then the chemistry thing is probably the biggest one for me. Brooklyn Nets, they won 42 games last year. Their over-under is set at 43.5, which definitely seems low after an offseason in which they signed Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. But, as we know, Kevin Durant's probably not going to be playing this season. I know uh, Brian Lewis of the New York Post has said, even despite what the Nets are kind of uh, nodding towards, that it's not a guarantee. He doesn't play for the entire year. Even if he comes back, it's not going to be later until the season. And so that explains their 43.5. Andy, what are you putting for them? This one was hard, too. Um, It does seem maybe ridiculous to think a team that just replaced – I mean, they're mostly the same if you consider the fact that Durant's not going to play except for Kyrie Irving in place of D'Angelo Russell. And you would think that's probably worth two wins. Um, <laughs> but I went with the under. I, I just feel kind of shaky about this team. Maybe it's maybe I thought they overachieved a little bit last season. Maybe I'm worried about the chemistry issues. I mean, we just saw what happens when you put Kyrie Irving with a bunch of young guys. Um, he's He's his leadership style has not proved effective uh, to this point. I, I certainly think they could get over 43 and a half. They've got a lot of talent. Karis Levert should be better. Um, you know, assuming he can, he can stay healthy. Uh, I think they have some interesting guys that they can play at the four. Like they have some interesting small ball fours, like Torian Prince, um, Jared Allen. I'm still high on. I, so there's plenty of talent here. I just also think, there's a lot of questions um, and they, they mostly revolve around <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Like what can he do with this next experiment as the guy on a team? And especially when it's just sort of a holding pattern, um, how much of a leadership stake is he going to take knowing that Kevin Durant comes back next season? I, I, even as I talk about it, I'm like tempted to switch my, my prediction right now as we speak, but I'm going to stick with the under on this team. Come over to the overside, Andy, because that's where I'm going. All, all your concerns are certainly legitimate with Kyrie Irving. The thing for me is I think it almost benefits him being in this situation because there's no one on the Nets like there were for the Celtics who is, one, crowned that next superstar in waiting like Jason Tatum was or playing for their next contract like Jalen Brown coming up on an extension summer which he obviously has not signed an extension, or Terry Rozier entering restricted free agency. He's also not dealing with a Gordon Hayward-type situation uh, where there's this really good player trying to recapture form. Karis LeVert signing that extension to me is actually big in that regard because he could fall under two of those categories technically. I don't think he's that type of person, but technically if he didn't have that deal, he'd be playing for his next one. And then also he's coming back from another injury, uh, even though he did finish the, the season strong, was actually quite good in the postseason for them. And that's going to make it easier to just establish a, a chain of command. And so there won't be players who are maybe turned off by Kyrie Irving dominating the ball. You can easily argue that the Nets absolutely need him to do that. And 
if this roster is going to be basically the same as it was last year, just sign me up for it then, because I think Karis LeVert is actually going to get better. Spencer Dinwiddie would have been sixth man of the year to me had he played more last year. And you, you do have some solid vets in here. There's still the Joe Harris. The Garrett Temple signing was nice. The price point was a l- little bit weird still to me. Uh, but Torian Prince, that's not a player I've given up on. And maybe that's really their biggest question is, without having Kevin Durant to play the four or the three, obviously, as he would probably prefer, what are they going to look like defensively there? Even when Wilson Chandler comes back from his 25-game suspension is, is Rodion's Kurutz going to be someone who kind of improves on that end of the floor he does play hard there but I just don't know that he's a defensive answer Torian Prince just has never been uh that guy who can defend power forwards will he be this year how much how many minutes can Wilson Chandler even give you at this point he's perpetually injured and yeah there's the question at center you know how much are they going to go with Jared Allen he he will start but DeAndre Jordan's not making around 10 million dollars a year to to sit on the bench always so there are questions there, but it's hard for me in the Eastern Conference to imagine this team not grinding out three or four more wins than they did last season, assuming, of course, that they remain relatively healthy. Yeah. One other thought I had on them is if, if they're just okay for the first few months of the season, what are the odds that Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan just sort of mail it in knowing that Kevin Durant's coming back next season? I mean, DeAndre Jordan certainly mailed it in for the majority of last season. So I think there's maybe a little bit of precedent there. Um, but that's, that's, he has a reason to get back on defense now because the Nets are going to compete for a playoff spot. That's got to count for something. Yeah, I think, I, I think it will, but if they're just sort of middle of the road, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he just sort of folded up his tent and went home uh, again. Charlotte Hornets, they won 39 games last season. Their over under has dropped all the way down to 23 and a half. Understandably, um, their primary source of offense for the last few years, Kemba Walker has been replaced by Terry Rozier. So where, where do you have them coming in at that on that 23 and a half line? Is it weird that I was tempted to go over just because 23 and a half is such a it's slow, yeah. low mark. That said, you, you just laid it out. They went from Kemba Walker to Terry Rozier. That's a, that's a mega drop off. Even if you believe in some of the younger guys or more improving guys that they have, Dwayne Bacon is good. Uh, someone who low-key can create his own shot. It'd be nice if he could turn those into uh, dribble threes, and may- maybe he can. Uh, you you do still have uh, Miles Bridges, who I'm absolutely high on. P.J. Washington has looked good. They've even tried playing him at the five in the preseason. And they do have veterans on this roster, but two, Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller is a really good player. It just feels like this is going to be a, a hard development year where in they're probably maybe they get rid of some of the vets or broker buyouts with an MKG or Marvin Williams down the line in the season. Uh, and failing that, even if most of these players end up playing above their ceiling, I just don't know how high the, the Hornets can climb because the, the drop-off from Kemba Walker to everyone else they have right now, as I said, is demonstrative. And you're looking at a team that, on average, with Kemba Walker on the court over the past three years, ranked – around the 80th percentile of offense. And then when he's off, it was below the 20th percentile of offense, just on average. So those are super rough marks. I'm just, Terry Rozier, by virtue of volume, I don't think is going to elevate them to that degree. And I don't know that anyone else on the roster is, you know, maybe if Nicholas Patum just all of a sudden is getting a ton of reps and is is aggressive, maybe they'll uh, just have a steadying force on the offensive end, but I, I doubt it. And so the under uncomfortably is what I'm going with here. 
I think it's probably fair to be uncomfortable with that. Um, cause 23 and a half is a very, very low number. Um, so one or two things go right and they're probably above that, but I went with the under as well. Everything that you already mentioned, um, Terry Rozier has never had a season where he shot over 40% from the field. And obviously field goal percentage has its, um, drastic limitations, but 40% is a low bar, uh, in that particular number. And he's never gotten there. And it's not just the fact that they lost Campbell Walker. They lost their second leading scorer on this team too, Jeremy Lamb, who's, who's pretty good on the other end as well. So, um, they're going to be hurting for offense this season. Uh, they may just luck into like 24 wins, but I went with the under, uh, for them as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, again, maybe if Malik Monk plays like he did against the Pistons, uh, the other night, they, that's the team's path to getting past this, this, uh, over under Mark. And, and you have good seasons from Terry Rose, a career year from him, uh, miles bridges, really just unleashing offensively. And they do have some nice defensive lineups that I think they could probably cobble together. Still. It's just the under just feels like the safer pick, even if we end up being wrong at this point. Yeah, I agree. The Chicago bulls. They won 22 games last year. They're over under this year is set at 33.5. I'm a little bit peeved at how little hesitation I had with, with this one, <laughs> but what did you put for them? Um, when did you pull these numbers? I'm sure they're pretty recent, right? Yeah. Before we recorded the Western conference over unders. So that would be Monday. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised. It's this low. Are you surprised? I am a little bit surprised. Um, there, so there was this announcement, I think, in the last day or two that they're going to start Sadoransky, which should have been sort of a Captain Obvious moment. Um, he's he's a great complimentary piece to a ball-dominant shooting guard like Zach Levine. Uh, Otto Porter remains criminally underrated to me. I, I think he's one of the best small ball fours in the league when he's at that position. Um, maybe not best in the league. That that might be overstating a little bit. But he is underrated. Uh to me, Lori Markinen could be in for a breakout season. I'm still not. I'm still in on uh, Wendell Carter. I mean, there's there's just a bunch of interesting pieces on this team, and I think they fit together pretty well too. I think they'll be even better when I think they'll probably start games with Markinen in a center. They'll be even better when they play Porter at the four and Markinen at the five. Um, you know, I think that un- unleashes them offensively uh, to a to another degree. I think 33 and a half is, is low. I've already said that a few times. I think they're going to be very much in the playoff hunt this season. I don't know for sure if they'll make it, but I think they're definitely a team that's probably around 500 this season. Though, and I went with the over as well. The argument against it, just to play devil's advocate to the two of us, since I agree with everything you said, is you know making that, let's say, 12-win jump, is that's awful steep. And I know mm-hmm. they were bad enough to where it should be easier, but that's still a tall ask it's just they have so much talent on this roster like imagine if uh wendell carter jr is allowed to shoot threes and that also looks at the basket when he has the ball in his hands uh you know imagine if they get away from putting Larry larry market in the post a little bit too much or dumping it off to him late in the shot clock so he used to try and create something out of nothing imagine if he's able to really show something a little bit more off the dribble other than these drives to, to the basket they still have zach levine who might be an all-star for all his flaws in the eastern conference this season just when you look at the the deficit of star power in the East. Uh, Kobe White and Thomas Sadoransky, I think those are two guys that they could end up playing together. Together, And White looked really good at points during the preseason. Mm-hmm. Otto Porter, you mentioned him at the four, but just Otto Porter being able to 
have the license to explore himself more. We saw it towards the end of last year. Uh, they had him in more pick and rolls. They had him shooting more pull-up jumpers. He wasn't the most efficient player in those situations, but him getting to branch out, I actually think is is good for his value and for them. And then you hinted at it. There, there are some lineup permutations that I'm super intrigued by. One of them is actually, you know, let's have Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter, and Wendell Carter Jr. on the floor together as much as we can, because that could end up being just really good uh, defensively. And then you go with a Sadoransky Levine or Sadoransky and White. This team has a lot of different ways it could play. If you believe that Jim Boylan's going to let them uh, get out uh, and go after it a little bit faster, if you believe that he's going to get away from more of the the archaic offense that they seem to be running for a, a good amount of, of last year, then there's really no other reason to, to pick the under for them. And so, yes, I was surprised it was this low, but maybe it's just a matter of, hey, a 12-win jump is a lot. And, yeah, it certainly is. Um, but I, I do think they'll be pretty solid this year. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago. After it popped back in, rather than seeking immediate medical attention, I just wanted to continue about my daily life, deal with the pain, and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. That brings us to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who may not be quite as solid. Uh, they won 19 games last season. Their over-under is set at 24 and a half. Um, for me, this wasn't quite as difficult as the Hornets call, but it is still a pretty low number. So where do you have them? I reluctantly put them at, at the under. It. I don't think – it's weird because I feel like one of Charlotte and Cleveland is going to end up outperforming its – projection but when you look at the chance now for maybe the Cavaliers to trade Kevin Love after that Bradley Beal extension it seems like he's going to be one of those few stars that will actually be on the chopping block this year now this team could end up being really bad I'm intrigued by all the guards that they have Colin Sexton really shot the ball a lot better than I expected last year and his his shot selection improved later in the season I'm very intrigued by what Kevin Porter can do as a shot creator. Cavs fans are already in love with Darius Garland too. There might be some table setting issues there when you look at all three of them. None of them are really this floor general type guard. But this Cavs team has a potential to be fun. I just don't think it's going to end up winning a, a lot of games. Their wing rotation is is very weak. You have Jetty Osman and, and Dylan Windler. That's about it. You know, what do you view TLC as? They ended up getting rid of their best perimeter defender already in Sindarius Thornwell. I can't imagine this team is going to be even fairly competent on the defensive end. So reluctantly, 
while I still think they're going to be fun, and while part of me doesn't believe that both the Hornets and the Cavs are going to hit the under, I, I went with the under. I also went at the under. I hinted at it in the intro to the team. Uh, first of all, shout out to Wyoming Cowboy Larry Nance, who is another underrated player. Um, but other than him and Kevin Love, I'm not sure there's a lot of guys that we can be certain will be positive contributors um, this coming season. I'm I'm also intrigued, particularly by the Colin Sexton-Darius Garland pairing. Um, they're both 6'2", so you know there's serious questions there. But I, I love having a ton of playmaking on the floor, and I think they do have the potential to play together long term. I just don't think it's going to look real pretty this season. <laughs> um, last season, to my point earlier, I've, I, I'm pretty sure I pulled this stat up for an article, so that's how I know it. Um, but the only the only players on the entire team who had an above average box plus minus last season was Larry Nance, who, who was actually well above. And then Tristan Thompson, who was barely above, and he played fewer than 1,200 minutes. Um, everybody else was was way down uh, in the negatives. And I, you know, I think even with significant improvement from Colin Sexton, there's still a chance that he could be a negative by advanced numbers like that. Um, and it doesn't mean that he'll be bad. I mean, he could be trending in the right direction. I think it'll just take a while for these guys. Um, to be plus players. So I went with the under here. I can see the long-term potential. I can see the reason for excitement, a lineup of uh, Sexton, Garland, Osman, um, Nance. And I, I don't know who the last player in that equation would be. Maybe Dylan Windler uh, two or three years from now could be pretty good, but I do think it's probably two or three years from now. That brings us to the Detroit Pistons. They won 41 games last year. Their 2019, 2020 win total is 37.5. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'm actually a little bit floored by what you picked. What did you pick? I went with the under. I, you know, I could certainly see it going uh, the other way. Is, is there a team that feels? I know that they've only had Blake Griffin for what a year and a half now. Um, is there a team that feels more sort of stuck in the mud than the Pistons for the last five, six, seven years, whatever it's been? Um, I feel like we can just pencil them in for like high thirties, low forties every single season. Um, and I, and I guess me saying they take the under puts them at like mid thirties or, or low thirties. Um, there's always injury questions with Blake Griffin. Um, so I think that that factors into my prediction a little bit. I'm still not a huge believer in Reggie Jackson, although he looked better last season than I expected him to. I don't think the Derek Rose signing helps all that much. Um, they could certainly get over, like I said earlier. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm in on Luke Kennard. Blake Griffin, if he stays healthy, is probably a top 15 to 20 player, and that alone is worth a bunch of wins. Um, Andre Drummond, although he didn't get a chance to show it after Blake Griffin got there, added some playmaking chops right before the arrival of Griffin. So there's a lot of pluses with this team. Um, but to me, it's it's just the symbol of mediocrity, and I'm going to say they're slightly below that level this season. I, I just think there's there's too many, I don't know, head-scratchers on this roster for me. So they must be the team that you're wiping out of the playoff race in the East in favor of Miami. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be sure I'm checking my over-unders as I set the seeds, by the way, because I could easily see myself like – contradicting we'll, we'll save that one for uh the, <laughs> the awards pod uh but yeah i went with the over and it actually wasn't that hard for me they're 
there are valid concerns there, and you laid them all out for the Pistons. I just think Blake Griffin is so good that the games he's going to play, and even if it's 65, that they're going to end up winning more than a lion's share of those. And uh, if you can hear the the lawnmowers in the background, I, I apologize. Landscapers are outside of where I'm recording. This This was insane to me. Blake Griffin last year ran more pick and rolls per game than Eric Bledsoe. He hit more pull-up threes than Trey Young. He finished in isolation about as frequently as Paul George, Kyrie Irving, Zach Levine, and Damian Lillard. He assisted on a higher percentage of his team's baskets when in the game than Stephen Curry. And even after all that, he still found time to rank fourth in post-up possessions per game. Just an absolutely monster season for him. And I'm not saying... He's going to replicate that, at least when you look at the, the availability. I do think he can replicate the production overall, though. The Pistons now have two wings who can shoot, which is mo- one more than they had last year. Now they have Luke Kennard and, and Tony Snell. Derek Rose, he's not a great addition to me, but when you are going from Ish Smith to Derek Rose, I think that helps. They, they have Bruce Brown, who if he can really show a little bit more uh, off the – off the bounce slipperiness because his three point shot isn't, isn't great. Uh, and you can keep him on the floor for his defense that helps him out a ton. And, you know, I like the Markeith Morris signing because I think it opens up the possibility where you play him and Blake Griffin together without Drummond and you can have Morris trying to defend the centers. It's something that the wizards did in, in Washington and they weren't great defensively, but it's just, it opens up more versatility and you're not going to necessarily be uh, great defensively in those non Drummond minutes Anyway, uh, although Christian Wood might make a case that perhaps you will be. So 30, 38 wins for this team just seems really low. And picking the over really wasn't that much of a, a challenge for me. I should also add before I move on to the next team that I was very conscious of trying to keep my overs at 15 teams and my unders at 15 teams um, overall. So when I look at some of the other teams in the East and I'm like torn on which one to, to pick the under for um, – that colored the decision as well. I that brings us to the. I might have tilted more towards. I haven't counted it up. I will. I might have tilted more towards the unders this year. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't know if it's like an exact science, but I always try to make it even. Oh, oh no. Um, I'm, I'm 15 and 15 and didn't even plan that. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're, you're a master of this. Um, Indiana Pacers won 48 games last year. Their over under is 47 and a half. So right where they were last season, this, I mean, I'm a broken record at this point after two podcasts of this, but this was a hard one for me. It, it was hard for me. I, I went with the under though, because they should be a more dangerous team offensively, but I'm actually not entirely sold on the fact that they are. And then I don't think the defense is going to be nearly as good after losing Thaddeus Young. And then Boyan Bogdanovich is a better defender than, either of T.J. Warren, who is talking about playing defense this year, to his credit, and Jeremy Lamb. I also, they still lack that primary playmaker. And when you're not going to have Oladipo until at least sometime in December, that feels like it could be a problem. Their offensive rating when they would have, especially because now they want to play Sabonis and Turner together, their offensive rating last year with those two on the court without Oladipo was, was, was just shit. There's no other, it was just bad. And, I don't know if that's going to cause some issues this year with Malcolm Brogdon now running point for you. Uh, he's not a bad passer, but and he gets to the rim more often than I think people realize and is willing to get out and transition more than people realize. So that is going to be something they can leverage, and, and that should translate to a fair weather facilitator. 
I just don't know with his lack of off the dribble jumper, even his lack of volume from three. He's a good shooter, but he's never just uncorked it with absurd volume. I feel like that uh, is going to make the Pacers maybe a little bit easier to defend unless he sort of changes uh, that. And then when, if he does, is his efficiency going to hold over all that volume? My, my bigger concern with everything is, yes, they can stagger Sabonis and Turner. It seems like they're eventually going to do that because I don't believe that Gogo Batate is going to play this monstrous role for the Pacers this year. What does Oladipo look like when he comes back, though? We don't really have a great frame of reference for this ruptured quad injury. I know Tony Parker suffered something similar, but just at a different stage of his career, and, and he's Mr. Floater, whereas Oladipo is sort of, uh, his game is a, is predicated on a little bit of explosion and, and beating guys. Is he still going to have that burst? Even if he gets back to that, I imagine it's going to take some time and you know, Kawhi Leonard didn't have the same injury, but it does seem like these quad things can linger and become these serious issues. So are they going to, how much do they have to load manage him apart upon return too? And if we're going to say, oh, the Pacers sniff 50 victories while having, let's say a 60 to 70% of Oladipo for only 60 to 70% of the season, it's really tough for me to get there. You think Bojan Bogdanovic is a better defender than Jeremy Lamb? Yes. Are you kidding me? Do you, um, do you disagree? Yeah, Jeremy I, Lamb I think never Jeremy... could have done to LeBron James in the series uh, uh, two years ago what Boyan Bogdanovich did, and he's just like Maybe. not eminently beatable. I would say he's not. I don't think he's a great defender, but he's certain. TJ Warren, I just don't even know is like even tried to play defense in his career in Phoenix, and Jeremy Lamb is just someone who can exist in those average to above average systems. We saw it when he was playing with under Steve Clifford, but he's not. Would you look at Jeremy Lamb and think that he's a really good defender? Maybe not really good. I think he's probably a higher ceiling defender than Bogdanovich. Maybe Bogdanovich is one of those guys, at least in my mind, who's just solid by virtue of the fact that he's big and can kind of take up space against wings. But I think Lamb's athleticism and length um, make him an interesting defender to me. I, I'm higher on the Pacers than you are. I took the over, so that clearly makes me higher. I wouldn't. I'm not super comfortable with it. Um, it's it's a pretty high number for this particular team, but I think Demonis Sabonis is fantastic. Um, Malcolm Brogdon was a big pickup to me. Um, he fits very very well. I I'm clearly higher on the Jeremy Lamb edition <laughs> than you are. Um, I, I think they all fit together well enough and they have enough talent to just sort of hold steady until Oladipo gets back, maybe be a few games uh, above 500 by the time he gets back and then to really kick into gear once once he gets going. Now, like you said, it may take some time um, for him to get back up to speed. In fact, it almost certainly will. So there, there may not be a ton of season left by the time everything is clicking with Oladipo there. So maybe, I mean, there's certainly some risk in taking the over here, but I think there's a lot of talent. I think they're really well coached. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by the Turner-Sabonis pairing. Um, you know, it's it's not ideal, but I do think it's interesting that some teams are going back to more of the traditionally sized front courts, and I think that's one that could potentially work because Sabonis is a great playmaker. Turner has three-point range. Um, the bigger question is which one of those guys can guard on the perimeter. Um, and, Turner, and we'll I see how far is the answer there. Yeah, I, I think it's almost certainly Turner. But even him, I wouldn't trust to switch out on to a ton of guards. Um, 
He's looked fantastic defensively in the preseason, by the way. So I, I think maybe a breakout year for Miles Turner. Maybe, you know, Brogdon holds steady. Uh, Warren holds steady. Lamb holds steady. I, I think that's a good team, especially in the East. Um, they're going to be able to beat up on some of these weaker teams that we've talked about already. So I went with the over, but as is the case with all these teams, it's it's fairly cautious over. Yeah, I'm not as worried about Miles Turner defending guards as you might be it seemed it did seem like the Pacers really brought him out of his comfort zone in the pick and roll last year and, and he fared well with it so, always something when you're dealing with bigs though and particularly in dual big front courts that's definitely something to look at and just to be sure I don't hate the Jeremy Lamb addition I think it's fine on the offensive yeah end. I just think Bogdanovich gives you a little bit more position optionality where he can yeah. go three and four and I don't really see Jeremy Lamb extending past the two yeah, I could see that. Maybe, maybe my uh, opinion is being colored by the two or three preseason jazz games I've watched. Yes, you did. You, you did text me in a fit of the jazz suck at defensive uh, efficiency <laughs> rage. They've looked terrible. <laughs> anyway. Miami Heat, 39 wins last year, missed the playoffs. Over-under set at 43.5 wins this year. We agree on this. So, Andy, what are you putting? I'm taking the over. Um, they now have a top... I'll say 15 to 20 player, probably top 15 still in Jimmy Butler. Um, and he seems to fit sort of the, uh, the identity of the heat and Eric Spolstra, maybe a little bit better than he did in Philadelphia. So I think that goes a long way for him. And then they've got a bunch of these interesting switchable, um, forward wing guys. Like I'm, I'm pretty high on justice Winslow. Now what he's done as a shooter over the last couple seasons is really encouraging, those stretches where he played point guard are very encouraging to me. I think those two guys are an awesome combination. I think Bam Adebayo could be very, very good. Uh, I was pretty disappointed when Team USA let him go because um, I think he really could have helped them. And I certainly think he would have been better for them than Mason Plumley wound up being. I, I think he's he's got center size, but he can do some guard things. And it's pretty awesome to watch him do those things. Um They've got a lot of talent on this team. Tyler Harrow looks better than I thought he would in the preseason. Derek Jones is a really versatile, um, you know, stack up the blocks and steals type of a defender. Uh, Lots of interesting pieces on this team. And I think they just needed one sort of go-to guy to tie it all together. And now they have that with Jimmy Butler. Um, I certainly don't think they're like a top three or four team in the East, but I do think they probably get into the playoffs now. Yeah. With everything you said there and, uh, Condolences to Heat fans because a Bradley Beal trade is officially off the table, at least for, for this season. Uh, there's there's some variance to their over-under, it feels like, because will they go out and try and make a midseason move? They have some interesting expiring contracts, namely Myers Leonard. You have Kelly Olynyk with his player option for next season. You also have James Johnson and Deion Waiters with two years left on their deal as salary filler. Uh, they don't have all these first-round picks to offer. You have to include distant first-rounders in trades. But if there's a pricey star that becomes available, we know Miami's attracted to star power. Does that then elevate their ceiling or, or hurt them a little bit because it's midseason? That being said, if we assume they stay together, what really – yes, they have Jimmy Butler. And, you you know, you talk about Bam Adebayo. You talk about Tyler Hero. One of the players who might be sleeping on is Goran Dragic. Battled injuries yeah. last year. And what if he's just actually good this year? He's a good player. Uh, can play mm-hmm. on or off the ball well for a point guard. And if Justice Winslow throws a nice encore to what he did last year, this feels like, no, you know what? I wouldn't put them as that third or fourth team in the East, but it does feel like they could outstrip 
44 wins rather easily and get to that 46, 47, 48 win territory, maybe. I totally agree. Um, you think they get Chris Paul this season? I do not, unless there's, unless they're just bad to start and Jimmy Butler begins grousing a little bit. The, the funniest yeah. development would be Jimmy Butler uh, demanding a trade in December <laughs> because he are so bad and he decides he wants to win again. Yeah, that's um, that would not be out of character for him. I don't think they get him either. But um, and I honestly don't know like how much I want them to get him. I think he probably raises their immediate ceiling. Um, but if they've got to give up legitimate assets to get him, um, I'd be worried about that. Zach Lowe mentioned this. Kyle Lowry might be the more interesting name for them. That's someone I feel like. Yeah, he would. Easier fit. He would definitely be yeah. more interesting. And you could probably justify you wouldn't give up Tyler Hero in that, but you could probably easier. It'd be easier to justify giving up Justice Winslow in that deal than it would be for Chris Paul. Man, maybe I'm just super high on Justice, but even that makes me a little uneasy. No, I think it should. But I'm saying to me, if we if we just operate under the assumption that he would be included in either of those deals, I'd rather go with Kyle Lowry than Chris Paul. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. Milwaukee Bucks won 60 games last year. They have an astronomical over-under of 57 and a half. Where did you go with this one? I went under, and I'm not trying to crap on the Bucks. We caught the podcast. You weren't actually on that one, but we caught shit because it seemed like we picked apart the Bucks during their their preview. Uh, I'm just there's changes from last year, and I I would have you know it's not my money, but I would have kept Malcolm Brogdon if I were them. Do I see a pathway to them being as good? Absolutely, uh, especially if George Hill plays like he did for stretches of the playoffs last year. That really mitigates. The, the the Malcolm Brogdon departure and Eric Bledsoe was fantastic during the regular season. The playoffs are a concern just because of his offensive limitations, but in the regular season, if if we're going to assume he's the same player, the Bucks will still be really good. They have Chris Middleton. It's I don't think that you should expect regression from Brook Lopez. I do think it's fair to wonder whether he'll match his career high volume from three when he takes so many of them from twenty seven plus feet. Uh, still, I don't think that you could be like, well, Brook Lopez is all of a sudden going to be bad. This team is going to be really good. I don't see the incentive for them, though, to chase that 60-win mark again. And maybe it wouldn't surprise me just because there are only two could-be powerhouses in the East. But after last season, I just I, I feel like they might take a more conservative approach to the regular season. And I'm a little bit surprised that they're this high uh, where they need to win 58 games to, to, clear their, to clear their over. And so I'm leaning towards now after picking Philly. I'm leaning towards putting Milwaukee when we do our seeds first in the East. I just don't think they're going to get to, you know, 58, 59 victories. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, 57 and a half is just a really high number to me. And so I, I took the under. I think it's almost certainly going to be Milwaukee or Philadelphia as the best team in the East. But everything you just brought up, I think, is fair and true. Um there, there's really no reason for them to push the way that they did last season. And even if they are the best team in the East, they might win, you know, 56, 57 games. Um, just just really the loftiness of the number overall is what scared me off. But all the points that you brought up are, are certainly valid here. Um, I think you're on the next one. Sorry, I was about to take it. Oh, all good. New York Knicks, they won 17 games last year. Amazing. <laughs> and now they're over under his set at 26.5. What did you go with Andy? Um, I went with the under, I, I did a P 
piece for Bleacher Report right after the schedule came out where they had me predict wins and losses for every team. And I think I had New York like 29th overall um, and winning like low 20s. And I was surprised at how angry a lot of Knicks fans were. Is there a lot of optimism around this team right now? I think Knicks fans are just perpetually angry. Maybe that's what it was. Just a... Just the general feeling of anger that they always have. I went with the under um, on this team. Uh, I, I know that guys like Marcus Morris are saying things like, "Oh, we're going to be tough, and nobody's going to bully us." At you, uh, you know, this is our house. Play defense all that against the Wizards in the preseason, yeah, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, but this this is just not a good roster. And if they're bad as they as they probably will be, uh, it won't be. It won't be surprising if they shut down some of these veteran guys that actually might make them win a couple games um, at some point this season. I, I see them heading towards tanking at some point this year. There's This, this is just a weird roster. Um, who, who's the young guy that we're like super excited about on the Knicks now? I'm, I'm admittedly probably lower on R.J. Barrett than most people are, and I, I think he could be good. I'm just, I'm just a little bit more... Um, cautious with his potential than some others are there, there's just not a lot to be super excited about with this roster in my mind frank nilakina <laughs> he did look pretty good in the uh world cup so he you played, have that yeah in their loss to the atlanta hawks uh he played spectacular defense as well so i'll continue to cape for him i really like kevin knox too he just sort of if if his three is going to go down at a fairly efficient rate he just has the look of someone who's going to figure it out uh, Long term, RJ Barrett. I'm with you. I, I'm only lowering him because I don't have a feel for how his game is going to translate to the NBA. So I don't necessarily think he's going to be bad. The question remains here, though, is how they're going to balance the player development with their veterans. And I think if you want yeah. them to hit the over, that there's going to have to be this tilt toward closing games where one of Barrett and or Knox are on the bench, if not both. And that's not something that I think the Knicks should invest in, nor I think something that they will invest in towards the end of the season. While yeah. I'm saying this, though, is that we've both now picked unders for the cat for the Cavs, the Suns, <laughs> the the Knicks, and the uh, the other resident bad team, the Hornets. Not uh, at least one of these teams is hitting the over, so we're bound to be wrong. But I, none of these teams also are good enough for for me to be like, hey, I'm going to take the chance and and go with the over. And I don't buy. Look, you said the thing with Marcus Morris. That's great, but it's. It doesn't matter to me. There is still that talent deficit there. They don't have a lot of good defenders on this roster. Mitchell Robinson should be fantastic. The way he could just block jump shots and be all over the place in the half court. Great, grand. I just don't know what their best defensive lineups are going to look like. They they have to have Neil Keenan and Robinson on the court at the same time. Beyond that, though, you'd assume Marcus Morris is in there. There's just this jumble of, of what are they going to do and how are their rotations going to look and, and what are they prioritizing. Ultimately, though, I do think youth wins out and who knows if some of these guys will even be here at the trade deadline those veteran contracts were kind of made to move if the opportunity presents itself and with the dearth of star power on the market you have to think if there are any moves going to be made that they'll be made on those middle rung margins and the knicks have ready-made players to to fill that potential demand that brings us to the orlando magic who won 42 games last season and the over under is 41 and a half uh so not much movement there where do you have them finishing this season cautiously with the over because i actually don't think their ceiling is much higher than where they were last season just because of they've really leaned into the the non-shooters thing that they have 
going on. <laughs> that, that being said, if you get anything from Markel Fultz this year, you're almost assured to climb past the over because Nikola Vucevic is a, is a proven player. Aaron Gordon may not be optimized when they need him to be more than that guy who can finish plays from off the ball, you know, where he's getting out in transition, finishing lobs in, in the half court. Uh, they're, they're still going to try and groom him as that pseudo wing playmaker that causes problems. Uh, the minutes without Vooch on the court are going to be rough unless Markel Fultz really busts out. DJ Augustin had a great year last season, quietly been really good for a few seasons, but you just the, the offense with him as the, uh, the primary point guard, and even if you put Terrence Ross in there, it's hard to build lineups without Vooch. That will be pluses offensively. They should be really good defensively. One of the best defenses in the NBA last year, Steve Clifford always instills uh, these nice principles in his defenses where, you know, they're not going to force a ton of turnovers all the time, but they're they're not going to foul a ton either. They're going to coax offenses into the the right shots. And so, so that alone in the regular season, I don't like this as, as necessarily a playoff team again, unless Fultz really goes off. Uh, But in the regular season, if you put together a good, a good defense, that's something that should keep you above 500 in the Eastern conference. Yeah, I went with the over on them as well. Um, I think Nikola Vucevic is pretty underrated. Um, sorry, I was looking at <laughs> I was looking at the new have you have you looked at Raptor at all? 538's new catch all metric? Yes, uh, particularly the screenshots that you have sent me of Isaac Bonga future. <laughs> yeah, their projection system has spit out some wild results, like Jared Allen being a negative this season and Isaac Bonga being a future all-star. Uh, that's probably my favorite one. Um, but a lot of the advanced numbers loved Vucevic last season, and I wanted to see what Raptor said about him because it um, it supposedly factors in de- – not supposedly. It does factor in defense uh, to a further degree than some of those other numbers do. And he's a little bit lower there. Um, than he was in, in some of the other metrics that I use regularly, like real plus minus box plus minus stuff like that. However, point remains, I think Nikola Vucevic is very good. What he did as a playmaker last season, I think I love passing bigs. You know this about me. Um, so I think he's excellent, first of all. And then they've got several breakout candidates. Um, Aaron Gordon has maybe broken out already, but I do think there's another level for him to get to. Um, Jonathan Isaac, I've heard a lot of people pick him as most improved player for this coming season, which I think is a fair pick. Um, you know, I, I, I'm high on him. I would like him more if he was more of a four five than a three, four. Um, but Orlando just doesn't have the roster for that. They keep adding these (laughs) power forwards. Um, Markel Fultz, you mentioned him. There's another breakout candidate. Um, so I, I think if one or two of those guys hit and Vucevic is about what he was last season or maybe a little bit worse, um, I think this team could be really, really good. And it took them a little bit to figure out the defensive system last year, but but once they did, they were a lockdown defense. And so now if they maybe have those concepts down, and it's mostly the same roster this season, um, the big addition was Alpha Rukaminu, but he's a good defender, so he should be fine. Uh, they could be really good defensively this season. This is a team, again, I, I, you know, this obviously isn't a title contender or anything, but I think they're going to be pretty good in the Eastern Conference. And I think they, I could see them even getting to like 47, 48 wins. Wow. That's, I guess I'm just not sold on their offensive apex just yet. It's for them to get there. It feels Which is like fair. <laughs> Aaron Gordon is going to have to, you know, start hitting off the bounce jumpers or you're going to need Mark Fultz to become not just something, but a, a really good player 
right off the bat. Their, their spacing concerns me. You know, Minu's a great defender. I also think, concerning their spacing, I'll let you go right after this, but I do think Evan Fournier is better than he showed last season, so maybe he'll bounce back too. And they were around, you know, average shooting team, closer to that than than terrible. So I get that. It's just, can you do it in volume? And I'm all, I'm just not as sold on Jonathan Isaac's offense as you are, maybe. But, you know, there is maybe there is that track for, for them to get there. Philadelphia 76ers. Um, wait, I took the last one. You do this. I'm jumping all over you. Hey, I, I love the ambition here. <laughs> the enthusiasm over under 54.5 for the Sixers. They won 51 games last year. Andrew D Bailey. What are you putting for them? Um, another cautious pick, uh, but I'm going to take the over just, and here, here's why, like even 54 and a half scares me a little bit. There are so many good teams in the NBA this season. There are fewer in the East. So maybe I'm a little more comfortable going over a number like this in the East than I would be in the West. But with so many good teams, uh, they're going to give each other losses. And so I don't I don't think we're going to have a single team get to 60 this season, first of all. Um, and I think the Philadelphia 76ers could be the one seed in the East with like 55 or 56 wins. Same with the Bucks. Um, so I do think they go over. I, I'm not sure. I don't think they smash a 54 and a half over under, but I, I think they get over. I think the defense is going to be terrifying. Um what Matisse Tybel has been doing this preseason is just unreal. I mean, we were already psyched about the defense when we knew that it was Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, um, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid in the starting five. And now you can switch Tybel in and and have him guard whoever and steal every ball and block every shot. Um, they're going to be fantastic defensively. Uh, depth is still a little bit of a concern for this team for me, but their starting five is so good. And if they stagger Horford and Bede the way that they should, I, I think Horford can lead second units um, really well. So I, I think they're going to be fantastic this season. This is a legitimate title contender to me. It certainly seems like a legitimate contender. And I went with the over as well. I, a part of me only did it because I felt like I was putting too many unders as I was going through this in the Eastern conference though. I'm always wary of teams that make these substantial changes and then are in their first season together that maybe yeah. were too high on them too soon. You also mentioned the depth. You know, it's great that Thibel has played well in the preseason. Can he do it in the regular season? And will he avoid hitting the rookie wall? It's also a little bit dangerous to me that a team that's considered a contender is going to have to rely on him and, and Zaire Smith to some extent, two younger players. And then, your backup point guard situation. I know Trey Burke has had his moments, but that's, you know, Trey Burke's your backup primary backup point guard, unless you think it's going to be Neto. The, the, ah, ooh. Yeah. The, the big thing for me though, also why I did eventually go with the over aside from their starting five being so good is when Joel Embiid was off the court last year, the, the Sixers were outscored by 5.5 points per hundred possessions. I, I know they were better when Jimmy Butler came, but I purposely left that out because even with Jimmy Butler, all like for most of the season, that was still the number it turned out to be. And now you get to stagger him with Harford who led pretty good lineups without Kyrie Irving in Boston. So he understands kind of how to be that, that hub. And there are going to be workarounds if he's the one playing uh, beside Ben Simmons, as opposed to Embiid. I know those lineups in Boston weren't as effective last year, but still uh, having Al Horford in those minutes ends up being huge all season. And it also, 
when you look at the games that we have to believe Embiid is going to miss because you want him to be fresh for the postseason and a championship push now, there's just barely any drop-off by putting Horford at the five. And so it's not just about those same game Embiid list minutes. It's about the games where you just don't have Joel Embiid. This team should should be better overall in those situations. Yep. I'm in on all of that. Um, and now it's my turn to take us to the Toronto Raptors, who won 58 games last season. Um, they they suffered a little bit of a loss in the uh, <laughs> player personnel department. So their over under has dropped all the way to 46 and a half. Where do you have them? I put the under. it, And I put it too quickly, I almost feel like, because they've signed Kyle Lowry to that extension, which while he can still be traded, it does make you think that they're really trying to ride this year out and I could see them being the third seed in the Eastern Conference that said with Kyle Lowry not all the way back from his injury just yet without Kawhi Leonard obviously and then just with the the shooting dearth that they have right now you know there it was funny that Nick Nurse came out and just really lampooned uh Rondé Hollis and Stanley Johnson it was the yeah. honesty was appreciated but it makes you wonder you know what is this wing rotation going to look like for them uh can og Ananobi regain the momentum he built up during his his rookie season does norman powell have another level he's like that guy that's always on oh maybe he could do more watch and he's still yeah. sort of there uh, is patrick mccall going to suddenly shoot well uh, even the question of how does fred van fleet play for the entire year S- still there's a there's a part of me that thinks we're underrating the raptors a little bit collectively uh then again at the same time, the Raptors were minus 2.5 points per 100 possessions last year when they played without Green and Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. When you replace those minutes with exclusively Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, they end up being a net plus. But there are going to have to be times where those two aren't on the floor together. And maybe that's where Marc Gasol comes in, is you make sure that you always have one of those three on the court, and he can still be that. Um, I've referred to him now as this cornerstone in micro where, no, you don't want him to be your first or second best player for 30-plus minutes a game, but he can still be that hub on both offense and defense for between the 20 and and 27 minutes per game. That's going to be huge for them. There is, to me, feasibly, if they keep this team together, which I do think they will, they can hit the over. I just, you know, losing Kawhi Leonard, and then if you're not going to have Kyle Lowry be Kyle Lowry at the start of the year, that, that all adds up to me. Yeah, I took the under as well. I think they'll be good. I don't. I don't think they're a title contender uh, anymore, unless you know, OG Ananobi is going to have to take a huge leap, or or Powell, or more likely probably probably both would have to. Or Siakam is um, just like a top five player next season for some reason. Yeah, like what if Siakam jumps up to mid twenties and ten rebounds? Um, I guess it's not impossible. I would just be pretty surprised if they were. A title contender. A question that just dawned on me while we were talking about them, though, is um, do you think this is better than the pre-Kawhi Leonard Raptors? Are you, like, trying to throw shade at DeMar DeRozan right now? (laughs) I guess that's the only way to take it. They probably Um, are just because Siakam is now Siakam. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're probably better than they were um, before they made that trade. And, and obviously the trade was validated by the fact that they won a uh, NBA title, but for multiple reasons, uh, losing Kawhi Leonard after one season, wasn't like death to the franchise or anything. They're, they're going to be a good team. They should make the playoffs. Um, it's just hard to see any, at least for me, any true contenders beyond the Raptor or no, beyond the uh, Sixers and the Bucks in this conference. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with everything you said there. The Washington Wizards, our final team in the East, they won 32 games last year. Their over-under this year is set at 27.5. Andy, what did you put? I went with the under. Um, I think this team is very much in the mix to be the worst team in the NBA this season. And so it's kind of funny because you, you mentioned this a few teams back, but I've now taken the under. Did you just switch mine? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I switched both of ours on accident. We've now taken the under on, you mentioned the teams earlier, but the Wizards, the Hornets, the Knicks, I can't remember who the other one was. Um, the Suns we have the under on. <laughs> so certainly a couple of these teams are going to go over, um, but it does feel like the safe bet uh, for me to take the Wizards under. I mean, their lineup or their roster after John Wall, or <laughs> I'm, I'm misspeaking left and right. Their roster after Bradley Beal is uh, frighteningly bad. Who is their um, I, second I, best player this season when you obviously remove John Wall from the equation? Um, goodness gracious. Let me pull this up. I mean, I want to say Rui Hachimura <laughs> just because I, I want to I thought you were going to say good. it was going to be Davis Bertans. That, that, that's who you wanted. That's be. probably who it is in reality. Um, Maybe Thomas Bryant. He's good. Thomas Bryant, I think, has potential. Um Boy, I'm looking at it now. Every time I look at this roster, I'm like, whoa. Um, I, I guess if Washington's going to have some hope for this season and beyond, it probably has to be Hachimura, but he's a rookie. And and I just I don't think it's going to be him. Um, I really want him to be good. I want a, a long-term legitimate second piece alongside Bradley Beal if the Wizards are serious about keeping him. Um, but I'm just not sure I, I, I see a pick for that that I would be confident in on this roster um who knows what john wall is going to look like when he gets back he his athleticism already seemed to be in sharp decline before the most recent injury and this most recent injury is a big one um so there's there's just question marks all over the rest of his career this is a this is a team that's bradley beal and a bunch of just weird pieces and i think they're going to be terrible (laughs) this year (laughs) look and as we mentioned because the bradley beal extension i i think it makes it more likely he's either load managed or shut down at some point yep. in the season. And so that's going to drag their win total down. It'd be interesting to see if it actually already did uh, go looking at the betting markets, probably haven't adjusted yeah. just yet or, or have actually pulled them. I'm sure that would be something to monitor there. I don't feel as bad about going the under on this one, but like you mentioned, some, some of these teams are going to hit the over, but it says a lot that I don't, I don't feel not that I don't feel brave enough, but I don't feel justified in picking the over for any of them. If you had to pick that that five team sector, or maybe make it six teams with Memphis and Phoenix, Washington, Charlotte, and New York, who is that even six teams? Maybe I, maybe I screwed that up. Washington, so it'd be Washington, New York, Phoenix. That's three. Then mm-hmm. we also pick the under for oh Cleveland, Charlotte, and okay, yeah. Uh, now now who's the one I'm leaving out? Memphis. Memphis. Sorry. So. This is tough. I'm torn. I'm torn between the Hornets, believe it or not, and the Grizzlies. I was about um, to say you actually did pick the over for the Grizzlies, so that might be the way to default. Yeah, and I think the so if we if we eliminate the Grizzlies from the conversation for me, it would probably be the Hornets, just because they still have some competent veterans like Batum and Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller. I think they'll probably win games just by virtue of the fact that those guys are around. Um, but again, I I, I I'm a cautiously optimistic about the Grizzlies. They're not going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but I think they have some pretty solid players. 
my pick would probably be the Grizzlies or the Suns would be my, my second favorite there. And I picked, if you want to see a really bad look, I picked the unders for all six of these teams. <laughs> you at least picked the over for the Grizzlies. And Shout out to me. Yeah. Uh, oh, the one thing we didn't mention about the Bradley Beal extension, by the way, is it conveniently with that player option puts him in free agency after his 10th season. And so uh, just going to be mega max. I think that amount, that's got to be closer to $270 million if if he's signing a five-year deal. Something to monitor there as well. Yeah. Well, that takes us through all 30 teams in the league. Like Dan said, we've got another podcast on the West. So if you go into your podcast feed, you can certainly find that. Um, also Dan and I've done one of them. It's been all Dan for the most part has been a machine on the division previews leading into this season. He's had some great guests on, um, myself, notwithstanding to, (laughs) to preview what's going to happen in the NBA this season. So look for those in your podcast feed as well. Uh, as always, we encourage you to rate review and subscribe to the podcast. I'm guessing if you're listening, you're already subscribed. So uh, share it with your friends and family. Uh, that way you can talk about our terrible takes together um, and it'll bring you closer. I, I guarantee that. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Dan is at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods and the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udri and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.